0: Jet fans, I believe that you're finally going in the right direction. You know, they're, for most of the time, they're the guys from planes, trains, and automobiles. You're going the wrong way! As you know, football is right around the corner, and you need to get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code WINGO to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game and get a free shot at a million-top prize with your first deposit. That's promo code WINGO for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer, restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details, and if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome into another version of the Chop Shop. Trey Wingo here with you as we get set to break down and preview the AFC for the upcoming 2021 NFL season. And who better to break it down with my good friend, Mark Slareth, who of course won some Super Bowls as a member of the AFC, too with the Denver Broncos. What's up, buddy? How are
1: you, man? It's always good to uh, see your sunshiny face. Even though we can't connect in person as much as we used to on a weekly basis, back in our former lives, it's always great to connect with you uh, as uh, as our friends on Cobra Kai say, hash brown, sent it to the internet. So it's always good. <laughs>
0: yeah, virtually, we're still doing the same damn thing, which is wonderful. We're brought to you by DraftKings. As we said today, we're breaking down the AFC. And if we're breaking down the AFC, Mark, we have to start with the team that has ruled the AFC the last two years, the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, they've been to back-to-back Super Bowls, won Super Bowl 54, and then got destroyed in Super Bowl 55 because their offensive line was in shambles. And my fine producer, Scott Turkin, has put this as the rundown item for the Chiefs. What did the Chiefs learn, and how will they respond to the Super Bowl loss? I submit to you, uh, counselor, that they've already told us their response. They rebuilt their entire offensive line because they know how important that front wall is in front of their half-a-billion-dollar man. There's no question about that. And one of the
1: things about the Chiefs that make them unique over the course of their championship runs and their back-to-back Super Bowl play, before they had all kinds of injuries across the board on the offensive line, one of the things that made them unique, Trey, is I don't think there's a team that I studied that spent more time getting five eligibles out in the pattern. Meaning, you're having 5-0 protection. Our five against whichever five you bring. And we are... We are relying on two things. One, our ability to protect, our ability to be outstanding. And two, your quarterback's ability, when we do miss, to make defenders miss and make something big happen. The off-schedule nature of football, because there's nobody better than Patrick Mahomes at that. I I will say this. I hope that Andy Reid, and I, I I say this with a certain amount of trepidation, I hope that he learned his lesson about football hubris, meaning... You got to run the ball when teams are giving you the opportunity to run the ball. The the Buccaneers were saying, "We'll give you six yards a carry, take it." And yeah. I think their running back got what seven, eight carries, average seven yards a carry, and they decided we're going to win the way we win. And yeah. that to me is that to me, there's a certain level of football hubris there that you have to. It's your job as a play caller to take the onus off that offensive line, especially when they're injured. And if somebody's going to give you seven
0: yards of play, you damn well better take it. Well, it's interesting you say that because that has sort of been the bugaboo for Andy Reid in certain situations in the past. uh, When Alex Smith was his quarterback and they had that uh, lead on Tennessee in that playoff game a few years back before Patrick Mahomes took over. Uh, and then Travis Kelsey got hurt and they didn't give the ball to Kareem Hunt at all. That had also happened to him in Philadelphia. But I just, just so people understand, in case they'd forgotten, this is now the projected starting lineup. Uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs on offense. At left tackle, Orlando Brown, who we all know was tremendous in Baltimore. That's a massive upgrade from whoever was starting there before. Uh, Then at left guard, you get Joe Tooney, who comes over from New England, and everybody in Patriots camp will tell you how valuable Joe Tooney was during his time there. Uh, Then you have center Creed Humphrey, who was a rookie. I totally get that. He's a rookie. However, he has been remarkable in camp, and he was widely thought of as the best center in this year's draft coming out of Oklahoma. Then at right guard, they have another rookie projected starter, Trey Smith. He went in the sixth round out of Tennessee because of some complications with his heart that had some people question his medical at the combine, but he has been killing people in camp and behind him at right guard is Laurent Duvernay Tardif who took off last year because he's a doctor and helped battle the coronavirus in Canada. He started in Super Bowl 54 for them so they really have incredible depth at that position and then the other one which is really interesting is they have Lucas Niang at right tackle. Lucas Niang of course was the the high draft pick from a year ago that opted out because of COVID and he's also been killing people in camp. That doesn't even have Kyle Long anywhere in that starting lineup that's how deep their offensive line is right now
1: yeah they've done a really good job of of bolstering that of understanding the weakness of attacking that weakness and some of those players as you talked about their right tackle is a guy they've been high on for a while he just hasn't had the opportunity to play I
0: think you and I both expect the Chiefs to be the team to beat in the AFC right
1: yeah absolutely I think they're I I I do think like I don't we don't even talk about the the other factors, but I think there are so many factors and they're so hard to contend with on the offensive side of the ball. Even if you hold them down for a while, the issue is uh, you they get the ball back and in a minute and a half they score a touchdown and they're like, oh okay, we're right back in the game. It's it goes back to that playoff game um where they're down what, twenty-four to Houston? Twenty-four nothing. (laughs) Right. And all of a sudden you're like They had the lead by the half.
0: They had the lead by the half. Right.
1: You're like, how the hell did this happen?
0: They're just that yeah. dynamic on offense. The one thing I always like to say for people to understand, talking about what we expect out of preseason games as opposed to regular season games, a preseason game is a coaching staff saying, here, these are the things we'd like you to do. Go execute them. It is not here. These are the things we'd like you to do. Now here are the things the defense is gonna to do to take that away from you. So you have to figure out what they're doing before what you're doing, you have to do it in the blink of an eye. Right? That's the difference. That's why mm. I always say it's like saying a tofu burger is a burger, and so is a Waigu beef burger, but they could not be more different. They're technically both burgers, but they are completely different sandwiches.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna bother some people right now about vegetarians or vegans. And here's you're what right. bothers me. Why are you guys taking broccoli and trying to make it taste like meat? We don't take meat as, as as meatgins. We don't take a slab of beef and try to make it taste like broccoli. I find you guys very shifty.
0: Very well, shifty. I, I will say this. Those Impossible Burgers? Delicious. 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 That's why right. I with in tofu instead of plant-based food. Okay. Um, now... Both, uh, both of us uh, this summer, uh, Markov, have, have run afoul of Jets fans. Uh, <laughs> you, <laughs> you with your classic ring thing. And, uh, and then the other day, um, Rich Cimini, who does a great job for our former employer ESPN as the Jets beat writer, put in there something about the poise that Zach Wilson, their rookie quarterback second overall, has shown so far in camp. And I put something out there on Twitter a couple of days ago that said, hey, this is great and all, but remember, that's the exact same thing everyone was saying about Mark Sanchez in 2009. Well, for whatever reason, the Jet Faithful just discovered that I put that out there a week ago, a day before we're having this taping, and there were a million mentions. What the hell are you talking about? And someone actually said, literally, no one ever said this. So this is why people... You need to understand history and understand everything is out there. I did a quick Google search, Sanchez Poise. I found five articles, including one from Deadspin, that listed, I don't know, 70 people saying, so poised. It was so poised. He was so impressive. What I really liked about Sanchez was the poise, and I retweeted it with a simple thing, the Google It stings. So, you know, I feel like Jets fans are very sensitive all the time and they've had a shitty summer, let's be clear. Carl Lawson out for the year, Vinny Curry out for the year. So it's been bad. All that being said, Jet fans, I believe that you're finally going in the right direction. You know, they're, For most of the time, they're the guys from planes, trains, and automobiles. You're going the wrong Wrong. way. (laughs) Right, right, right. I think they're going the right way with Joe Douglas, and I think they're going the right way with Robert Sala as the head coach. But don't tell me about poise from a rookie quarterback because that really isn't what matters in preseason.
1: You're 100% right. And listen, I like Zach Wilson coming out. As a matter of fact, I took a rash of crap. When I said on my radio show in Denver, I'm not so sure after studying Zach Wilson that I didn't like him better than I like Trevor Lawrence. And not as, you know, a physical specimen, all that stuff. But just like one of the things I always I, I find enamoring for me is when people talk about big schools and the guy didn't play at the level of competition. And I always think to myself, you played at a big school that you dominated that conference in, that you never lose in that conference, and maybe once or twice a year you match up with like talent. When you play at a small school, you're always out-talented. Like every team you line up against has more talent than you or the same amount of talent as you. And what I liked about Zach Wilson was his accuracy and his tight window throws. And I mean, I'm telling you what, he has been, from what I've seen of the preseason, he's been incredibly impressive. As we yep. said earlier, the preseason don't mean diddly squat. Um, you know, to to coin a phrase from uh, uh, Jim Mora, it it just doesn't mean diddly squat. Or was that somebody diddly else? Poo. Diddly, diddly poo, poo. He said diddly poo, diddly yeah. poo. Yeah, it's one of it, the great it, ones. It of It really, all time. it really doesn't. And. I just find New York fans in general are so triggered. They are so, they're well, just like... I mean, they, Jet
0: fans are miserable. I mean, they're, I mean, oh, they're yeah. miserable. They, you know, outside of but, that one year, right. you know, it's I'm been with misery.
1: You. I'm with you, though, 100%. I'll see what he is, because they were saying the same thing as when Sam Darnold was there. Correct. We'll see what he is during the regular season. We'll see where this team goes. Robert Sala... And I've probably done nine 49er games when Robert Sala was a defensive coordinator. So I, I've talked to Robert Sala at length. I love his philosophical approach. I love him as a coach. I love the connection he creates with his players. I love all that stuff. Joe Douglas, I'm with you. They're doing the right things. Bottom line is, that doesn't matter until you produce on a football field, right? Yeah, we see yeah. guys all the time that bench press a lot or that run really fast 40s. Tell me when the last time you heard John Ross in and, yeah. and, and his career in Cincinnati. Remember, he was the fastest 40 ever recorded. He's Correct. played about four games and he's had about nine catches. Like, it, yeah. that's that doesn't matter. So when I see production, I'll be willing to give the Jets some props. Until that point in time, um, they're the Jets. Yeah,
0: and, and again, right, prove, prove us wrong, but I, I do feel like things are turning in the right direction. Josh Allen was spectacular. Uh, last year really could have made a case for him being the MVP, although I think the right guy won it Naron Aaron Rodgers. Um, Buffalo is a really good team. Are they poised to show the same kind of success that we saw in 2020 and 2021? I believe so.
1: I mean, they've done such a good job. You know, we, we used to talk about this all the time, Trey, and I think it's just, I think it's more than a football philosophy. I think it's a just a life philosophy, and the greatest organizations and the greatest teams, like this goes back to the Patriots. Don't tell me what a guy isn't. Tell me what a guy is. Right. And can we use that to our advantage? And, you know, I, I think it's really easy to say that, but it's really hard to live that philosophy. Because you have this, this innate ability as a human to look at the weakness of somebody or look at the, the faults of somebody and, and focus on that as a fo- as opposed to focusing on the good and putting a system together that, that basically benefits that guy. And in Buffalo, you have to remember, they went to the playoffs with Tyrod Taylor. So what you have to understand is they had been building their roster yeah. for some time. And then Josh Allen comes in, they basically eliminate some of the offense. They use him as a running back, so to speak. You know, they make sure they only throw it 22 times a game. They use him in the red zone, and they develop him along the way, help change some of his mechanics, throwing the football, help him understand, and all of a sudden, they morph into this spread offense last year where he completes almost 70% of his passes and is phenomenal. And, and, but a lot of that has to do with he whirled into an organization that understood what he was, that had a vision for what he could become, and they surrounded him with really good players. And nice. guess what? Bam! I mean, it's, like, you know, it's not magic. You know, it's not like they, they went to Hogwarts and waved the magic wand on him. It was a There was a process here, right?
0: Right. Well, and, what and, you're talking about is, is something that I think is really valuable. It's, it's team construct and how you go about doing that. And we'll actually get into that with another team uh, in a little bit. But you're 100% right. It's not just we have a quarterback. It's what do we put around him. And that will come into play. Uh, in the AFC with the team that had the number one overall selection. We'll get to that in a few things more after we take this quick timeout Chop Shop AFC preview with Mark Schlereth. As you know, football is right around the corner, and you need to get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And with the NFL returning, DraftKings is doing this. They're giving you, new customers, $200 in free bets instantly when you bet $1 or more on any football game. Now listen up, because you don't want to miss this. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 or more on any Week 1 game to receive $200 in free bets instantly. If sportsbooks are not available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. And for Week 1, DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at a $1 million top prize. Look, nothing adds to the excitement of watching a game quite like having a free shot at a million bucks. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code WINGO to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game and get a free shot at a million top prize with your first deposit. That's promo code WINGO for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer, restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right, back with you on the Chop Chop, our AFC preview of the 2021 NFL season. Mark Slareth here with me, Trey Wingo. Uh, So let's talk about one of the biggest moves that was made in the offseason. And oh, by the way, I think we should point out the AFC is stacked. Let's just be clear about that. The NFC has obviously the Super Bowl champs and they have the Green Bay Packers. But there are five or six teams that you can make an argument for in the AFC that could be representing the AFC, even though we all think Kansas City is the overwhelming favorite. I mean, it's deep in the AFC, right? Yeah, there's no question about that. I, I was looking at it this morning. You
1: think about, you know, you think about the the four teams that are going to win the division, right? And then you have to think in the North if Baltimore wins, Cleveland's going to be in, right? Pittsburgh, yep. we still, I mean, Pittsburgh could have. They were 12 and four last year, and, and we Correct. just count them out, right? Yeah. And so then I started looking at it going, okay, if there's seven teams that are going to, you know, that are going to make the playoffs, two of them are coming from the north. I'm, I'm almost positive, right? Yep. And then I started looking at it going, okay, that leaves what? That leaves um, another, another five or six teams fighting for the last two playoff bursts with Miami and with, uh, you know, either Tennessee or Indianapolis, depending on who wins that division, you know, with the Chargers, with New England, with the, uh, like there's a bunch of teams that have an opportunity to do that. It, it is stacked. It is super, super deep.
0: And one of the teams that made the biggest moves was bringing over a stud from the NFC. Julio Jones goes from Atlanta and is now teamed with Ryan Tannehill in the Tennessee Titans. This move to me, I think, has potentially marked the move to be the most impactful of any player that changed teams this off season, and I'll explain why. You have Derrick Henry, right, who is still a sledgehammer and a a human refrigerator with arms that is impossible to tackle. Well, now you bring over Julio Jones, and there are questions about his health. I understand that completely. For the sake of this discussion, let's assume Julio Jones is 90 to 95% of what he was in Atlanta. The hell are you gonna do as a defensive coordinator? Because you load the box, to stop Derrick Henry, which you have to do, which means you're going to leave somebody one-on-one, whether it's A.J. Brown or Julio Jones. If you're the offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans and head coach Mike Brable, you love your options with A.J. Brown on one side, one-on-one, or Julio Jones on the other. So, okay, maybe we try and double Julio and and take the the passing game out. Well, then you got a skinny box against Derrick Henry. I think potentially the move of Julio Jones – to Tennessee could be the most impactful single-player move this entire offseason.
1: I think it's a great theory, Uh, and and you're 100% right. Mike Vrabel, I think it really plays into Mike Vrabel being a head coach because Mike Vrabel is going to say, we're going to win by controlling the line of scrimmage. That's the way he played. Um, That's what he was as a player. That's what he is as a coach. He believes in that, and he won't hesitate to say, this is the way we're going to win games. Here's the other part that I think most people that don't cover the league on a day-to-day basis don't understand about Julio Jones. One, obviously you understand that he's a supremely gifted talent. Uh, one-on-one, he is uncoverable. His speed and in and out of breaks, his his ability to get himself open, zone versus man, unbelievable. He's also one of the unselfish players. Like when he's running a route where he's not the primary He looks like it's identical. You can't tell that he's not the primary. Unfortunately, in this day and age where we've overvalued wide receivers, we give them the opportunity to be divas. We give them the opportunity to say, hey, man, I'm not the primary here. I'm going to half-ass this route. And guess what happens? When you half-ass a route, you don't get distribution from a player standpoint, meaning your players that are supposed to be covering you will slough off And they can get involved in a play on the opposite side or in the middle of the football field. He will not do that. The guy is supremely gifted talent, but he's a great teammate. And when you're at a Friday practice over the last couple of years at Atlanta, and you're watching practice, you want to talk about the guy that is setting the tone of how you practice from the wide receiver position? It's that son of a gun right there. So you're not only getting one of the great receivers in football, you're getting one of the great leaders from that position in football and he's going to open things up not only for himself but for the other players for the aj browns of the world he'll open up that offense this is this is to me one of those interesting football teams because they like baltimore have the ability to really control the tempo and the clock and really play great complementary football they're a fascinating football team to me and this is a great move by uh, the tennessee titans
0: all right, we, we're talking about the AFC and there's a couple of things we haven't even mentioned yet. Uh, one, uh, the Baltimore Ravens, you just alluded to it. And then the Cleveland Browns. Um, you know, there was somebody out there, uh, I can't remember who it was, that said he's heard from around the league that a lot of people think this is the year that they figure Lamar Jackson out. And I, I get it. I think that we all think that Lamar needs to find a way to, to win a little bit more from the pocket to be a more sustained, long-term, successful quarterback in the NFL. I don't think that's ever going to change. But like how do you figure out a guy you can't catch? Like, right? I mean I, he, did the rest of the league get faster? I mean like, right. did everybody else get I, you're just like, I, I, I understand I understand that there are things that you'd like to see Lamar Jackson do better, and, and you know maybe he needs to do a little bit more of that. But you can't tackle what you can't catch, and that's yeah. the thing Lamar Jackson still is going to have on his resume for a few more years.
1: I, I would argue that they figured Lamar Jackson out the day he walked in the league. Yeah, they haven't been able to contend with him.
0: Correct. <laughs> I
1: mean, Correct. Hey, I can figure him out. It, it's yeah. pretty easy to figure out. You're going to commit everybody to the box because of the way they run the ball and the matchups they get. And when you, if you divide the offensive formation in half, right? Yeah. You you cut it in half. What they do better than anybody else because Lamar Jackson becomes the 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 primary runner is they get a matchup where there are 5-on-4, where there's are 6-on-4 on one side of the football. And because Lamar is running the ball, it's actual 11-on-11 11 11 football. And they are Correct. phenomenal at finding a way to motion somebody across really quick and get an extra guy to block. And so they get a favorable matchup. Here's the issue that, that Lamar has is... Like, oftentimes, he's successful in the passing game because what are you going to defend if you're playing them? You're defending the run. That's where he kills you, right? So every route he throws is a one-on-one individual route. So a guy runs a slant. There's no underneath coverage. It's a pretty easy throw. He makes it. Guy runs down the seam. Somebody's in trail on him. There's nobody over the top. It's a pretty easy throw. What happens is when they get behind... They run into a playoff team that defends the run well, that's got a good plan, and they get behind, and all of a sudden you start having to throw against zones and against concepts where you have layered throws, where you have underneath coverage and over-the-top coverage. He's not good at it. He has not developed in that part the way he needs to develop. That's part. That's the, that's the task of John Harbaugh and Greg Roman, their offensive coordinator. That's where they have to get better, but... Caught up to Lamar. Hey, nobody can catch up to Lamar Jackson. That's like that's like you know you and a uh, VW Bug trying to race a Porsche. It, it, you, yeah. you can't you
0: can't race it. it. You you lose that that battle all the time. Yeah. So again, I think the Browns people would say would have the best roster top to bottom potential in the NFL. But uh, I don't know if that team's going to find a way to beat Kansas City, right? I mean that's that's I mean like the Cleveland Browns are a really good football team. But if you're asking me who am I taking, I'm going to take Kansas City every time.
1: Yeah, I'm I am with you. I mean, that comes down to that comes down to a, a lot of things that you have to do well. And yeah. ultimately, it also comes down to let's face it, Kansas City not not executing. Kansas City um forgetting to run the ball. Kansas City yep. not setting things up. Kansas City saying we're so talented, we don't have to set anything up. And, you know, and that's that's uh, To beat Kansas City, that's what you're relying on because they are that talented and they are that good.
0: Then there's this, and we've talked about this a lot today, but I, I, in this episode, when you talked about Kansas City and the job Brett Veach, the GM, has done in structuring that team around Patrick Mahomes, what Brandon Bean, the general manager in Buffalo, has done constructing that team around Josh Allen. Uh, what John Robinson has done with Mike Vrabel now in Tennessee, constructing that team and the way they're put together. What John Harbaugh and company have done in Baltimore, constructing that team. Same thing with Cleveland. There are two teams in the AFC that I think are really behind in that situation. One is the Raiders with John Gruden. Um, you know, In every way, Mark, you could make a very logical and compelling argument that the Raiders are far worse the three years under John Gruden Than they were the three years under Jack Del Rio. Jack won over eight games a year. John's won six games a year. They went to the postseason with Jack Del Rio. They have not sniffed the postseason with John Gruden. The three years that John Gruden has been there, they've averaged 21.4 points per game, which is 24th in the NFL. And they've given up 28, which is dead last in the NFL over those last three years. And they've squandered All those first-round draft picks that they got for Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper. They have done, quite frankly, a far below average job of building a team in Las Vegas.
1: Yeah, they really have. And, you know, I've called Raiders games the last couple of years. And defensively, when you look at them from just a personnel standpoint, you know, one of the things when you don't have the personnel to line up and just go, let's play, bring it on, let's go, you have to become... You know very tricky right yeah. and when when you get yourself out of position by doing exotic things guess what happens to you you give up you know 40 yard 50 yard you give up explosives that are touchdowns on a consistent basis and you're hundred percent right like they had opportunities with their draft picks um, to go in different directions and they were smarter than everybody else and they went in a way almost drafting the potential of a particular player. And they haven't worked out. Their decisions haven't worked out. And their personnel is just flat-out not good enough. And, um, and then, you know, I think Derek Carr is an exceptional quarterback.
0: Totally agree. Um, this is not about Derek Carr. This is about the organization he plays for.
1: Exactly. But when, you're, when your head coach has never met a, a quarterback that he wasn't more in love with than the one he has – um, it, it's really it's true. it is really hard, I think, offensively to have the continuity that you need. And, you know, they've had an outstanding offensive line here the last couple of years. They've kind of squandered that, and now they kind of dump the whole thing and are starting over from scratch. So, yeah, I think the decisions in that building have been head-scratching at best.
0: And, and then there's the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, the news came out recently that, oh, shocker, Trevor Lawrence is going to be the starting quarterback. I don't have any concerns about Trevor Lawrence, about his ability and what he can do. I do have massive concerns about what the Jaguars are doing around Trevor Lawrence. And the Monday night game from not too long ago where they lost to the Saints. I'm sorry, Urban Meyer's disposition on the sidelines was unacceptable. He looked disinterested. People, players pick up on that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And, And, you know. The Jacksonville Jaguars, the question to me isn't Trevor Lawrence, will he live up to the hype? Because if he doesn't live up to, everybody's wrong. There wasn't a single person that wouldn't say Trevor Lawrence should have been the number one pick in the draft. We all agree with that, right? If you needed a quarterback, Trevor Lawrence should absolutely have been the first pick in the draft. I mean, the kid looked like he could play in the NFL when he was a freshman at Clemson, okay? He he had the body. He had the poise. Uh, He had everything that you would want. So... If Trevor Lawrence misses, then everybody's evaluations of draft missed. So it's not, to me, it's not about Trevor Lawrence. It's about the responsibility of that team, Jacksonville, to put a team around him and put an offensive game plan around him. And quite frankly, I see that lacking so far this summer.
1: I do as well. And you're 100% right. Going back to Urban Meyer, a good friend of yours, Matt Rule. Yeah. Uh, Matt Rule is a college coach that's had a ton of success that came into the NFL. And, you know, in honest moments and this is one of the things i love about meeting with matt rule he'll be really honest with you right yep. you could see the exhaustion on his face you could see it's very much like when you're a rookie when you're a rookie like the over the it's overwhelming to you i just went through 4 weeks of training camp now i ha- and 4 preseason games in my day now i have a 16 game regular season like by week eight, your college season is over yeah. and you just hit the halfway point. And you'll walk in there, you know, as like I'll walk in there as a veteran player and every rookie's in his locker sleeping. Right. He's just like he beat down because you don't have a sense of what it is. You, you've got to you've got to develop that. And Matt Rule, to be very honest. I'm like, boy, dude, are you all right, man? You look I'm exhausted. I just like I was not like totally prepared for this. So you got to find your identity and it takes time and the, the players pick up on those signals and they pick up on your ability to connect with everybody. And you're right with Urban, like there's a big learning curve here. You're not just the grand poo-ball of all things football like you were at Ohio State. You gotta come in and connect with your players. You gotta tell them who what the, the why players in
0: your who. locker room don't don't care one lick what he did at Ohio State or Florida. All they know Absolutely. is can, can you make, can you get us paid and make us win now? They don't care about any
1: of that. Right. And and I played for Mike Shanahan I watched Kyle Shanahan do this. I, I watch him talk about this is what we're gonna do. This is why we're going to do it. It's like a journalism class. This is how we're going to do it. This is what it's going to accomplish. And here is how you are going to benefit as a player. So if you make this sacrifice for me, I guarantee you these three things are going to happen to you and to us as a football team. And you get complete and total buy-in because there's a connectivity there. And you've got to be able to do that. I, I put it on because I heard a lot of people talking about, should they even play, because they've got a lack of talent, should they even play um, you know uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence? And my answer to that is, of course you should play, yeah. but it's incumbent upon you as a coaching staff to make sure that you protect him by having an identity, by understanding what you are, and listen, there's going to be some games where you fall and you're down by 14. If you throw it 56 times a game, you're going to get his ass kicked. It's going yep. to be a David Carr situation. What do he take, 78, 76, 78 sacks his rookie year? I joke around all the time, but it's 100% true. Um, I remember when Patrick Ramsey came in the league under Steve Spurrier. You That's know, lame. And, and, and I've, I've said it a million times. There are people doing 5 to 10 in a state pen that did less to get there than Spurrier did to Patrick or Patrick Ramsey. Like yeah. He got the shit beat out of him uh, by a guy who didn't believe in max protection and hot routes and... I mean, that poor kid,
0: that poor kid, like, was, like, he should have been in a body cast every week. Never had a chance. Never had no. a chance. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Spurrier because it goes, and we'll, we'll wrap it up here. Like, the list of college coaches that were awesome in college and then went on to have really good NFL careers, in the Super Bowl era specifically, is really short. Like, it's really short. Right. Dick, Dick Vermeil, Jimmy Johnson, Tom Coughlin, Pete Carroll. Like, that's kind of it, right? Right. That's kind yeah. of you could throw John you could throw Jim Harbaugh in there a little bit because he got the 49ers to back-to-back NFC title games and went to a Super Bowl. Um, but it is really hard. Right. And Pete Carroll would start off.
1: Remember, Pete Carroll was yeah. coaching in New England, he was coaching yeah. for the Jets, he was doing yeah. all that.
0: Then so he went he actually back to had, college. NFL, yeah, yeah, he had an NFL background before he went and had all kinds of success right. at USC. It's not easy. Uh, you know, the history is against Urban Meyer being successful, and you know, I just for, for, for Trevor Lawrence's sake and the Jags' sake, I, I hope they turn it around, but I'm not really optimistic with what I've seen this this summer.
1: Yeah, well, it goes down to Brian Schottenheimer as the offensive coordinator. Dude, you've got to do everything you can do to make sure you support him and not put him in a position where he is. like. I, I just remember Aikman in his rookie year going 1-15. The one game they won was against us. I was with Washington, and I think Berline came in. Because Aikman got knocked out of the game. No, it was
0: Steve Walsh, actually. It was Steve Walsh.
1: Yeah, well, whoever it was came in and yeah. won that game. We were 11-0 and at the time. He took yeah. a beating. And there's very few guys that can take a beating. Troy's a big, strong guy. But there very few guys mentally who can take that kind of beating and come back and play the way that Troy Aikman played in his Hall of Fame career. So kudos to him. But um, that list is is probably shorter than the college coaches that, yeah. that came in and had success in the NFL.
0: So we'll see what happens. Uh, But again, that's our preview Chop Shop edition of the AFC. That'll do it for now. Until the next time I see you on the Chop Shop, buddy, I'll talk to you soon, okay? Okay, bud. Thanks. So that'll do it for our AFC
1: preview.